it's good to have staff that can cross train. You know, we have uh, Thomas can lead singing, David can play the piano, and I can't do anything but preach. So uh, they, it's good. So anyway, I'm so glad you're here today. Let me introduce to you one of my dear friends, Jackie Kay. Jackie and I've known one another now for a while. And I've had Jackie preach in, uh, I think, about every church I've uh, pastored and evangelist. Uh, Jackie has pastored churches. He pastored the Bartlett Baptist Church in Tennessee, one of the fastest-growing churches uh, in Tennessee at the time. He served in our denomination many things. He was a a full-time evangelism for 14 years. And then uh, just recently, uh, he retired from the pastorate at uh, Central Park Baptist Church in Decatur. Jackie is an Alabama boy through and through. Uh, has a dog. Is the dog still Bama? Is he? Bama's in heaven now. Okay. But uh, Jackie loves uh, Alabama. And uh, he is married to Libby. And they have three children, ten grandchildren. And uh, Jackie is a great man of God. He preaches the word. And he is a dear friend. And so would you welcome to the pulpit today, Brother Jackie Kay. Well, thank you, Pastor, and thank you, Sweet Church family, for honoring me, an old country boy from Lacey's Spring, Alabama. Anybody know where Lacey's Spring is? Well, there you go. Those of us who were raised there, it uh, is known as Lacey's Springs, but uh, Lacey's Spring. I am honored to be here, and uh, David, thank you in this wonderful choir and the instrumentalist for the music this morning. And <laughs> I tell you, uh, I heard, where did I, where did I leave my notes? There we go. Thomas. Tom, I'm not going to try to pronounce your last name. <laughs> but I want to tell you, I ain't never. Now, I've, I, that's not good grammar. And I know uh, I ain't never heard a minister student sing like that. Wow, wow, give the Lord a, wow. In fact, I, I really felt an impression of the Lord that you need to go on the road with me. Uh, uh, man, uh, Jay Parrick will be here one night this week, and Jay Parrick is one of the greatest tenors in America. And uh, folks, it'll be worth coming just to hear him. And uh, thank you for blessing me in sweet choir for your wonderful, wonderful way of ministering in music. Thank you, Brother John. 1979, uh, I was at Southwestern. I left for Southwestern Seminary. You were minister of music, because I know you really can sing, and minister of students at Rogersville Baptist Church, just down the road a few miles from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. I remember when you and Sweet Lou got married. I do. I know why you called him. You called him to get her. But uh, you, did, you did well in getting them both. I remember when Paul and Stephen were both born. I, it just seems hard to believe all the years have gone by so quickly. And I love you guys. And what a privilege to be with a pastor any time. But then when you're with a pastor, this is probably our sixth our seventh revival together, I am honored beyond measure. I want to thank you already for your wonderful hospitality. Your pastor always does things well. You have put me up in a very fine motel here in lovely Oxford, my first time, I believe, to Oxford, 
and you have put me up there, and I do not take that for granted. I did about five, 550 revivals during those 14 years of evangelism, and then I, of course, was a pastor for 34 years in addition to that. But as an evangelist, I traveled, as you would understand, quite frequently. And on one occasion, I went to a church in Missouri, and I had not met the pastor before, not been to the church, and not been to the town before. And I remember John, the pastor, saying as he picked me up at the airport, he said, Brother Jackie, we're glad you're here. I just want you to know we don't have any motels in our little town. We don't have any bad motels. We don't have any motels in our town. But I'm glad to tell you we have a brand new nursing home. (laughs) We we have a room reserved for you. And they had my name on the door. (laughs) So I'll tell you, I'm like many pearls. You say, I'm proud to be here. I am. And thank you for your, for your wonderful kindness and your confidence. I want to share with you this morning uh, one of the marvelous, and all of them were, parables of our Lord found in Luke chapter 14. The parables, as you know, were that tool that Jesus used that related earthy stories, day-to-day accounts. Uh, Familiar life experiences to convey eternal truths. On this occasion, Jesus had been invited to the home of what uh, Dr. Luke tells us was one of the chief Pharisees who had prepared, or his wife had, or his servants had, someone had, a very wonderful meal. And this parable is told in the context of that meal and that dining experience. I, I have uh, wonderful memories of my childhood when I think about this parable. Raised in Lacey Spring, my mother, in the summertime especially, when we were out of school, about 5 or 5.30, about the time my dad would get home from work, my mother would push open the screen door coming from the kitchen And she would usually cup her hand over her mouth and she'd call out to me and to my brother and say something like this. Supper's ready or the table is set. Now when mama said that, I knew there were some good groceries on the table. Now folks, I'm not an expert on many things, but I know my groceries. Can you tell? Anybody surprised? But I guess I need to maybe uh, just qualify that with one thing. I, I love most groceries. You'll find out several things about me. None of them are very significant. But you'll find out, first of all, you'll find out there are some things that I don't really care for in life. Uh, for example, I, 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 uh, I, I don't like snakes. Anybody here like snakes? And the only good snake's a dead snake. And I was walking across my back deck a few springs ago, my arms full of brush. Couldn't see exactly where I was stepping, but I was on my back deck out in the country. 
And I stepped on something that moved underneath my feet. I stepped on a snake. And I proved a movie wrong. White men can jump. (laughs) And fat white men can jump exceptionally high when they step on a snake. Number two is I don't like business meetings. Now I know you've got one in the bulletin. They're necessary evils and that's fine. I'm sure yours are wonderful. I remember at my last church, my chairman of the search committee said... Brother Jackie, you won't mind our business meetings because our church has a sweet fellowship. And uh, by the way, I've never laid awake at night and saying, sweet Jesus, I'd love to go to a business meeting somewhere tomorrow night. That's just just never happened. And I said, well, my brother, I'm glad to hear that because you won't have any trouble finding somebody to conduct your business meetings because I just don't want to do it. So I don't like business meetings. But they're they're a necessary evil. I'm sure yours are wonderful and I probably would love yours, but I, I normally I don't. But thirdly and lastly, I, I don't like turnip greens. And we're talking about groceries now. Now I, I know I can see it in your eyes. Son, how can you be a country boy and not like turnip greens? Well, I'm not really sure. But I made a theological discovery recently. In the Old Testament, there was a king who went mad and grazed like a cow. It was turnip greens that he ate. I don't believe there'll be any in heaven. I don't because the Bible says there's nothing there that defileth. I hate turnip greens. Now some of you, some of you sweet ladies or something are thinking, now preacher, if you had some of mine with some fat back, you and cornbread, you'd like mine. No sweetheart, I wouldn't. No wouldn't. I've gone 68 years without them. I believe I can make it the rest of the way. But when Jesus talked about this parable, he talked about a great table. When I was growing up, one of the things that was one of the most precious memories that we had was our annual family reunion in Hartsville, Alabama. My mother's family was from the Decatur area. My father's family is from Lacey Spring. And we'd have kin folks and cousins and aunts and uncles and our grandparents were there. And there'd be scores and scores of people at the old Methodist Tabernacle campground in Hartsville, Alabama, and the tables were lined with food, and I'd never seen so many pies and cakes and vegetables and meats, and it was just a a table almost as long as this room covered with groceries. Jesus told this parable because he knew everybody could identify with what he was about to say. And I think it's interesting that he tells it in the context of of dining with a chief Pharisee, very moral, very religious, an outstanding leader in his community, who was himself giving a dinner, planning a uh, supper, and preparing a meal for Jesus to participate. In that context, listen to what Jesus had to say beginning in verse 16. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper... And bade, the King James says, or invited many. Now I'm sure that you're familiar that, <clears throat> with the fact that in the Eastern culture of our Lord, as is the custom today, whenever someone prepared and invited others to a meal, it was a great honor. And it was a great social prestige to be invited to a dinner somewhere. 
And it was a terrible offense to turn that down unless you just could not come. And the Bible says that Jesus went on and said in verse 17, And then sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden or invited, Come, for all things are now ready. Kind of like what Mama used to say in the summertime. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. And the first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. He was in real estate. He had purchased a piece of ground. He needed to go see what it was worth and find out the details. And in verse 19, and another who had been invited said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. He was uh, an investor, may have been a farmer. I go to prove them. I go to check them out and see if they can pull a plow. I pray thee, have me excused. I I love this one. And when I thought about this morning, Thomas, when I heard that you had just gotten engaged, I, I just want to congratulate you. Your life is about to change forever. For the better, you're going to be blessed. This man said, I've married a wife, and therefore I can't come. (laughs) I suspect she had a honeydew list for him. Whatever the case was, he could not come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things, and then the master Of the house being angry said to his servants. Now that might surprise you that the master was angry. Unless you understood that in the culture of our Lord. It would have been a very offensive thing. To flippantly decline such a gracious invitation. And after the Bible says. And Jesus said that the master was angry. And he said to his servant. Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. And bringing hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Those who were the down and outers. Those that other people may not have invited to the the supper, to the meal, to the table. And the servant said, and apparently some time had passed. Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. And yet there is room. Lord, there's still room. Many people have come, but there's room for others. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, and I've got this underlined in my Bible. You may want to note it however you choose to do so. For I say unto you that none of those which were bidden or invited of those men shall taste of my supper. This morning, for just a few moments, as we talk about this theme, the table is set. What I want to say to you is Jesus used this simple parable to convey an incredibly marvelous truth to a group of people who were religious in every way, who were moral, who were decent people, but who really didn't have a clue who Jesus was, why he had come, and what he had come to provide for them. And in this parable, Jesus reveals several marvelous truths that are simple and yet incredibly significant. First of all, Jesus wanted them to know that there was something very significant about 
the great preparation that had been made for this meal. A certain man, apparently a man of great assets, a man of great resources, perhaps a man of great renown or reputation. When Jesus said a certain man, he didn't name him because it was a parable, but I'm sure that a name came to mind of the people that Jesus was talking to that could have perhaps hosted that party. A great man, a certain man, prepared a great feast, a marvelous feast, a, an unparalleled feast, one that would have been fit for a king. And this great man, this wonderful preparation included, invited many to come. In fact, when Jesus told this parable, what he was saying was, can I tell you, I mean, this meal is wonderful. You've done a great job. Can I tell you a little story about a meal that has been a lot like this, incredible in every way, and some people, some people were not interested in coming. This morning, one of the things that's very obvious to anyone who studies the parables is that Jesus was talking about a certain person, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, had prepared a great meal, the great plan of salvation. The fact that God came to give his only son on Calvary's cross to be robed in his own blood and die on Calvary and be buried and raised the third day. To provide a salvation that forgives sin and provides a home in heaven and transforms the lives of all who will come by faith to Christ. What Jesus was saying, I want you to know One of the greatest things in the world we can understand is our Heavenly Father has prepared a plan of salvation that includes all of us. And like Jesus said to the woman at the well who was thirsty, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew, then you would ask of God and you would rush to, to, to request this gift because it's such a marvelous thing. And so when Jesus was talking to this company around the table, he was saying a great preparation has been made incredibly, wonderfully, unparalleled in quality. A great man prepared a great meal and invited many to come. A great preparation had been made. Sometimes I think we get so accustomed to the gospel story that we have gotten over the awe and the wonder to real, of realizing that we were hell-bound and one breath away from an eternity without God. We didn't deserve God's grace. We couldn't earn God's grace. We couldn't pay our way to heaven. We couldn't work our way to heaven. We couldn't be good enough, and yet God in Christ did for us what we could never do. He paid the sin's price in our place. A great man provided a great supper and invited him in to come. A great preparation was made. But, but, not only was a great preparation made, Jesus said, and he was amazed, the people were amazed that heard this parable, a gracious invitation was extended. Now, it wasn't surprising that Jesus, or excuse me, the master had invited certain people, but the implication is he invited the who's who. He invited maybe the city councilman. He invited the people who were well-known in the community because later on he said, 
go out in the city streets and invite the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. One of the most amazing things about God's plan for us is God has a plan for everybody in this room. And God has a plan for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this world. And for God so loved the world means that God loved the low and outers and the uh, up and comers. And God loved everybody in between. Not because we deserve it, because that's the kind of God that he is. And he invites us all to celebrate all that God can do. In fact, I'm amazed. Sometimes when you talk to people about the Lord... They act like you're asking them to give up life, to give your life to Christ. The opposite is true. Jesus says, I've come that you might have what? Life and have it more abundantly. The greatest day in my life was the day I gave my heart and life to Christ. Now, I'd not been too bad. I was 12, almost 13 years old, growing up in Lacey Springs. I'd gone to church most of my life was a pretty good boy, and, and by most standards, I was a, I was pretty good. Worst thing I ever remember having done before I was saved, we're going to have a moment of revival here, uh, was steal a watermelon. Now, some of you have waited for years to get this off your chest. Some of you have wished, wished you could just get relief from this burden of guilt. I wonder how many of you, and I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to ask you to come forward, I'm not going to have an altar call for watermelon thieves. I, but I would like to know how many of you said, Brother Jackie, I understand because I too have stolen a watermelon. Would you raise your Look around you. Thieves everywhere. Did you raise your hand, Pastor? Lord have mercy. Yeah. And and I I wasn't even a good one. I stole two watermelons at one time. And they were both green. Weren't any good. I scared to death. But you see, a watermelon thief doesn't need to be saved because he's a watermelon thief. He steals watermelons because he needs to be saved. Did you get that? And you see, the fact that that, that's the worst thing that I could ever remember having done doesn't change anything. I was a poor, lost, hell-bound sinner in need of a Savior. And God, in His wonderful mercy, called me that day in in church when I'd gone to revival service, a lot like we're having this week. It was like God was talking to me, and I realized here, a 12-year-old boy, that I needed to be saved, and Jesus died for me, and the call of God was comprehensive to all, and it was clear, and it was compassionate, and there was nothing God wanted to do more than to transform my life. A great preparation was made, and a gracious invitation was extended. May I tell you that one of the most amazing truths to me, having studied the Word of God for all these decades is that God would want us to be a part of his eternal plan. And God has extended a call to every man. In fact, he said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come, for today is the day, and now is the accepted time. A great preparation is made. A gracious invitation was extended. And may I say, whoever you are and wherever you are along life's spiritual spectrum, 
if things are not right with you and God, if they're not what they ought to be, you need to know God's calling you. God's wooing you. Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as, as wool. He's calling us into a relationship with him. He's calling people who have never been saved to be saved. And he may be calling some of us who have been saved back to the foot of the cross. To start over again. Not to get saved again, but to fall in love radically with the Lord that saved us a long time ago. A great, great preparation is made. A gracious invitation was given. But then Jesus said thirdly, In this parable of this great supper, the table is set. Grievous excuses were given. Grievous because the master was angry. One man said, I've bought some land. One said, I've bought some some oxen. I've got to go prove them. Uh, I've, I've got a wife. I've got responsibilities at home. None of these excuses seemed unreasonable. But the master became angry, and I think Jesus was simply saying it is a serious, serious thing to turn down the master's invitation. Grievous. Grievous because we're only saved by God's grace. God didn't have to call us to start with. And we're saved by God's mercy and God's patience. And somebody once said, Why should anybody hear the gospel twice until the whole world has heard it at least once? But maybe there's somebody here this morning and over and over, God has has reminded you of his claim on your life and his love for you and his desire for you. And you've told him all the reasons you can't come. I don't know what you've been telling him. When that gospel call, which is clear and comprehensive and compassionate, comes your way, maybe you're saying, well, I'll come, Brother Jackie, when I I get things worked out. There's no place in all the Bible that says you need to work anything out. You see, he's a God of grace, and I love that song, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. You see, that's the way, that's the only way we really can come. And when we come to Christ like we are, he cleans us up and changes us from who we are and what we are. Maybe some of you are telling God, I plan on coming one of these days, but what you don't realize is that Jesus on another occasion talked about God's last call. In fact, he's going to reference that here. In fact, he's going to say a little bit in just a moment that none of those people which were bidden who turned me down can come to my supper. Now that doesn't mean if you've never turned the Lord down, you can never be saved. But he's saying for this sake... There can come a time in your life when you no longer hear God's call. There may come a time when your heart is hardened. There may come a time when you're no longer interested. And when that time comes, you're spiritually doomed. A great preparation is made. A gracious invitation was extended. Grievous excuses. Whatever excuse you've got, it breaks the heart of God. Come. Come now. I was blessed to have had the privilege of knowing as a friend, Dr. Adrian Rogers. Our church was just about five miles from Bellevue. In fact, when Bellevue moved out to 
Cordova. They, uh, it was 1988, I believe it was. And that was the year that our church experienced its greatest growth. Uh, we grew 230 people per week in one year. It, it, was, it was just one of, those, one of those God things. And somebody said, Brother Jackie, what did you attribute that to? And I said, well, I really believe it happened because most people thought we were Bellevue's overflow parking. But God, God bless it. But I remember Rogers used to say, as he would give the invitation from the pulpit of Bellevue, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. For you see, Jesus was saying, I'm not inviting you to a religious institution, though the church is the body of Christ. He wasn't talking about religion as the world understood it. He was saying, I'm inviting you to a relationship with me. A great preparation is made. A gracious invitation is extended. Grievous excuses were given. In just a moment, there may be some of you here that are going to have to either respond to what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do, or you're going to make an excuse why you can't come. Jesus said, be careful. Excuses are very dangerous things. But on the fourth hand, a great preparation was made. A gracious invitation was extended. Uh, Grievous excuses were given. But glad responses were noted. Go out in the hedges and highways and compel them to come in. Master, good news after a while. There's a blind man who's come and he's proud to be here. Because you know what happened at the banquet? Somehow he got healed and now the blind man can see. There's a lame man that's come and now he's carrying his bed because something happened when he came to the banquet. And, and there's somebody that's been raised from the dead and there's somebody whose life was a, a wreck and they've come and they found joy unspeakable and full of glory. Master, people are hurting from all around have come and there's still room. <laughs> You go out and invite them to come because you see, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. The table is set. A great preparation is made. A gracious invitation was extended. There were grievous excuses, but there were glad responses. I remember years ago at Bethlehem Baptist in Lacey Springs where I was saved. An old boy named Billy McVeigh had gone to jail. He'd he'd gotten mixed up in some, some bad company and gone to jail for a few years for being involved in a robbery got out of jail but the week he got out of jail my pastor who's down in heaven Johnny Young led Billy McVeigh to Jesus led him to the Lord Billy didn't have any education which is alright that's not important Billy just no rough neck country boy and old Billy was on fire for Jesus so much that wherever he went whatever he did he told folks about the Lord everywhere I got in trouble sometimes at work because of it. And I remember my pastor would call on Billy to pray at the end of the church. 
And Billy would stand up and tears flowing down his eyes. He'd say, oh, Jesus, help people to walk this aisle of happiness. <laughs> I'd never heard it called that. This aisle of happiness and find you, Lord, like I found you. There was a glad response. I've never met anybody, John, who regretted giving their heart to Jesus. I've never seen a Christian who came in rededication of his or her life to Christ who was sorry they did so. But finally, there was a grave declaration. The master said, as we've already referenced, none of those that were bidden can come. And as I've already mentioned, I believe Jesus was underscoring the danger of postponing that spiritual decision when the Spirit of God speaks to your heart and you know you need to respond to be saved, to give your heart to Jesus. And I think there's a, another, in another sense, there's a danger, even if you're saved, not, not a danger of being lost, not in danger of missing heaven, but a danger of missing God's best when you keep making excuses for not coming back to the Father. You know what revival is? It's a new beginning. Revival is simply saying, God, I want to come home. And I tell you this and I'm done. I was saved in a revival. And I was called to preach in a revival. And those are two of the mountain peaks of my life. But the third mountain peak was on a Sunday morning when my pastor Eldridge Crisco was preaching. I'd gotten married. <laughs> Thomas, I'd gotten married. I was 17. All you young people, listen up. Do not get married when you're 17. Is there an amen from my mom in the house? Thank you, and a daddy too. Don't you do it. We're a miracle of God's grace, so we, Lib and I celebrated our 50th anniversary about three weeks ago. But between the age of 12 and the age of 17, I, I drifted from the Lord. You know what happens when you get 16? You know what happens? You lose your mind. <laughs> I love young people. I was one once. I remember one time, I, I got so far away. Do you, do, you know, do you know saved people can do stupid stuff? Now, that'll preach. Saved people can do stupid stuff. I was 16 years old and got running with the wrong crowd. And, and I got assigned on New Year's Eve to go get the refreshment for the party. Are y'all with me? Do this. Not the punch, the refreshment. And I remember it was in a brown sack on my back seat of my 61 Chevrolet. And I drove back over the bridge from Madison County to Morgan County. And a sheriff's deputy pulled up behind me and turned on the blue light of his car. Pulled me over. My younger brother, two years younger, 14 years old, was in the car with me. And the sheriff's deputy said, who does that belong to? And I said, Him. Well, it, I didn't really say that. I wanted to. 
Do you know what that sheriff's deputy did? Put me in his car and carried me to jail. Your evangelist is a jailbird, an ex-con. I spent two hours in jail. I was in the Morgan County Courthouse and I was scared, slapped, dabbed to death. My daddy played football for Auburn. God loves Auburn fans. But Jesus loves all sinners. I... I I love Auburn fans, I do. I do, I love Auburn fans, I do. (laughs) Daddy was a punter and a receiver. He played for a big man, broad shoulders, 6'2", big man. I was in the jail in Morgan County. Guess who I saw walk in? My daddy. And in that moment, Brother John, I thought, hmm, I wasn't so sure I was glad to see him. I had mixed emotions. You know what mixed emotions are, don't you? That's when your mother-in-law drives off a cliff in your new Cadillac. (laughs) Save people do stupid stuff. But you know, going home, I remember Daddy saying, Son, have you learned anything from this? I said, Yes, sir, I sure have. And I was still his son, and he still loved me. And I was so glad to know that what I'd done had not made him stop loving me, and he hadn't stopped loving me at all. But I said all that to lead up to just this one thing on that Sunday morning at that church. My pastor preached on backsliding and about how Christians can grow cold. And he was speaking to me. And I walked down the aisle as a 17-year-old young husband and rededicated my life to Christ. It was one of the most significant moments of my life when I was saved, called to preach, and rededicated my life. And I said, Lord... I'm putting my hand to the plow, and I'm not going to look back. And I'm not going to compromise anymore. I'm selling out lock, stock, and barrel to Jesus. And I'm going to ask you, sir, I'm going to ask you, sweet lady. I'm going to ask you, young person. I'm going to ask you, guest. Would you make that kind of decision today? Maybe for some of you, there's somebody who needs to come down this aisle in a moment and say, Pastor, I need to give my heart to Jesus. I've never come to know Christ personally. If you turn from sin, that's called repentance, and by faith trust Christ, you can leave here today with your sins forgiven, a child of God, a home in heaven. Some of you may need to come down this aisle and say, Pastor, God's led us like that wonderful family last week to make this our church home and family. Maybe you just need to come and say, Pastor, I just need to rededicate my life to the Lord. Not because you've done anything stupid like a 16-year-old boy went to jail for a couple of hours. But maybe your heart's just grown cold. You just need a brand new beginning. The table is set. And the Lord says, come. Come now. Come as you are. Father, it is our prayer 
that this morning and this week we will discover a fresh spiritual renewal and lives will be changed because we're reminded of what a great God of grace and mercy you are. And whether it's a teenager or a senior adult whose heart has grown cold or maybe there are some here this morning who have sinned and they're sorry and they wish they could turn back the clock and remake the choice and relive the moment and and, uh, and do things differently. Thank you that you're a God of grace and forgiveness and mercy and peace and restoration. And I pray, Lord, that down this aisle will come people maybe who have not been involved in, in open sin, but their hearts have just grown cold. No longer a burden for revival, no longer a burden for sin, no longer a burden for souls. We just need you, Lord, to to rekindle our first love and set us afire for you. And may in this very first service, we simply in this altar say, Lord, my life is yours in a renewed way, in a complete way, in a surrendered way, in a total way. Thank you for inviting us to the banquet. We're coming just as we are. In just a moment, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, in a moment we're going to be standing and singing, and we're going to invite you to come, just like you are, making your decision for Christ. The table is set. Come. Thank you, Lord, for inviting us. Now you wait on our response. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together with us, please? Our pastor's here at the front. You just respond however the Holy Spirit of God may be speaking to your heart. Let's sing it together.